Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week. So uh, check this out. And if you like it, go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes. They're a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening. Um, here you go. This is Weekly Comics Spotlight 521 for comics originally released on August 2nd, 2017. Now starting us off in DC is Nightwing number 26. This is by Tim Seeley, and the artist is uh, Jave Fernandez. Yes, no, yes. That's what it said in the solicit, uh, and that's what it says on the credits when I finally got there. It's a couple of pages in. This is is kind of an interesting issue. Um, still behind on my reading, so I read the previous, basically the pre- previous arc right before reading this, and that was dealing with Blockbuster and some stuff like that. And this is dealing with Spiral, which is the spy agency that uh, Dick Grayson was part of in the Grayson series. So they're bringing in Huntress, they're bringing in a lot of Spiral characters here. And it's funny because I'm not against that. I loved the Grayson series. I thought it was awesome. And it worked... Su- I-, I was I was cautiously optimistic going into it. It's like, geez, him as a super spy, I don't know. But it worked well, it had some phenomenal art, it was a lot of fun story-wise. And so I'm not against them bringing that in. But Nightwing has a really l- lengthy history... Both as Robin, I mean, you can't go much further back in terms of characters in the DC Universe other than, like, Superman and Batman. Okay, there's probably maybe three or four others, I don't know, uh, Crimson Avenger maybe, anyways. So you can't go much much older in terms of the characters. So there's a ton of other source material to draw from. Uh, and in, in fairness, they just did Blockbuster, Last Ark, and a few other things. But it kind of reminded me how much I really loved the art in the previous series over the art like in this issue, I mean, the art here is, is fine, it's good, but I thought it was really awesome in Grayson. And particularly after having read the previous arc in addition to this, this title is good, but it's not great. And this issue kind of underscored for me that even though we've got a lot of the same toys to play with, with uh, the the Helena Bertinelli character, uh, the other agents of Spiral and whatnot, plus the regular supporting cast here of Grayson, this title kind of lacks the excitement, style, and just uh, pop or whatever that I felt the Grayson title had. And the more I was thinking about it, the more I kind of realized that they're spending a lot of time in Bloodhaven that this Nightwing just moved to, even though the pre-New 52 had been there for years. Um, But we've built up a new supporting cast of, uh, uh, you know, all of these kind of has-been villains or whatnot. And they're interesting, they're fine, but I haven't really warmed up to them, you know? So they're spending too much time on characters I marginally care about, not to the point of crowding Nightwing out of his own book, but he's certainly not featured on, like, all 20 pages or something like I feel he, he could and should be. So I'm liking this, but I guess that's the way to put it. I'm liking it, but, you know, it, it, it's got some room for improvement. Uh, how is this working for you? It really doesn't. Um, I I dropped it after during the first arc. Uh, it it thought it was a little bit bit boring. Um, I did enjoy Grayson. I read most of Grayson, mm-hmm. um, but it, it also got a little a little tired, and uh, it wasn't engaging with me anymore. Uh, the the spiral thing. I think we've explored that enough. So to bring that back in and that, that final splash page, I kind of see where we're going to go for a while. Uh, in here, so there's really no reason to re-explore that for me. It it's just it's not the stories aren't told well enough to make me excited. I get annoyed with the obligatory shirtless uh, Nightwing in every every issue, or at least every issue that I jump back in. There's at least one or two of him shirtless. I don't get it. Um, he, Honestly, I hadn't noticed. Yeah, it, not saying you're right or wrong. I just. Yeah, it, it, it is, and I, I've I've commented to Tim Seeley about that before uh, on Twitter, and and I think it's a point of pride uh, that they'll he'll write a scene in a lot 
uh, it's either you know the fans demand it or or something like that, uh, something to that effect. Uh, I, I I find it forced, and there's no reason for him to always be shirtless. But that's that's a that's a nitpick. Um, other than that, uh, I I found the story pretty boring. Art's fine. Um, uh, nothing nothing that elevates it, but nothing that to just to detract as well. Um, I just don't think I care enough about this interpretation of the character um, and the situations that he's in to to need to read this. It's it's kind uh, of, it's kind of boring. I, I can understand that. For me, it's not so much boring, but there's something about Tim Seeley's take on the character and the way he's using the title that is kind of a not a swing and a miss, but it's uh, it's certainly not a home run either by a, a wide margin. You know, the way he was in this issue, I think it was this issue, maybe it was the previous one where he was uh, not going for the job interview. I think it might have been the previous arc. They all kind of blurred together. Yeah, it was the previous arc. Yeah, where he wasn't going for the job interview and stuff. It's like, oh, he's never held a job and stuff. It's like, actually, well, and I was going to say actually he has, but now that I think about it, that was probably the previous Grayson and, and Nightwing and stuff from before the New 52. And nobody and knows is... about that, right? They've well, all... Either it did or it didn't happen, depending how you look at the DC lineup these days. Yeah. You know, if you go to what's happened to this character over in Titans, he should kind of remember his previous time in Bloodhaven, and it should have now been maybe in continuity again. I don't know. But they're playing it as if he hasn't been, you know, a longtime bartender and, and had a few other jobs here and there over the years. Now, granted, he didn't hang on to him for long. There was a period where... In the long-running Nightwing series that went, I don't know, a hundred and some odd issues or something, every six months, new city, new job, new new status quo. That got old pretty quick. So it's not quite that bad, but I look at what they were doing in the previous series with this character. I look at what they're doing here, and while I like here, I liked what they did in Grayson better. And I like him better as Nightwing, which is the, the confusing part. And, and they've moved him to... Bloodhaven. They've moved him to Chicago. Um, they keep moving like, as if geography is the problem, or that's that's going to be the geography is what's going to make it an exciting read. I, I don't think that's going to be the solution. Um, no, uh, you can tell a lot of great Nightwing stories in Gotham, and I, I don't think the geography has anything to do with it. Um, this is one of those titles, and there is a growing list of titles at DC and Marvel that. You know, needs a creative shakeup. Uh, let's let's try a little something different. This is there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's harmless, but it's not exciting to read, and it's and it's not doing anything interesting. So let's give someone else a shot at this to try to breathe some life into who should be a, it's a tier should be a tier one character. I guess if I were running a group of titles as an editor or editor in chief or, or whatever. And of course, we know there's zero risk of that, so don't worry about whatever I'm about to say. But if I were, um, I would be trying to, to strive for whatever the current run is on every title in my jurisdiction to be cons widely considered like one of the definitive runs, one of the high watermarks for the character, the series, the, the property, whatever. I would want to do the same thing. I think that seems fair. That should be the goal, correct? Absolutely. Not everything's going to hit that. I mean, even if you only get one out of the, the half dozen or whatever titles you've got, that's still a win. But do and you see I'm this? Sure that, I'm sure they're trying to do that. Do you they see just, this creator taking those swings at it, though? It seems like these are by-the-number stories, and they're not swinging for the fences to try to get those great, uh, really impressive runs. I would agree with that. And there was some stuff, particularly in the previous arc, that really turned me off in a number of respects in so much as I thought the character of Nightwing was not as smart as I have known him to be in the duration of just him being Nightwing, which I've read, like, almost all of. I may have missed a few appearances here and there. Certainly I can't say that with him as Robin, because, well, I'm not that old and there's a ton of expensive comics in that run. Um, and But from, from you know, when he became from went from Robin to Nightwing in, in New Teen Titans and such, He's shown a certain amount of, of just team leadership, uh, outsmarting the villains, etc., that is kind of not always there these days. And it's gotten to the point where it feels like he is so casual with his, his relationships that he's almost simultaneously, to some degree, involved with Huntress, Batgirl, uh, um, 
what was it, uh, Defacer or whatever is uh, oh, yeah. the current one. Um, Starfire at one point, maybe not in this continuity. And it, it's it's like whenever they need a, a subplot or whatever, oh, let's give them a romantic interest or whatever. Okay, you can do that. But there comes a point where you've done it so often, it's like he's got a fear of commitment or something, which just, again, for this character doesn't make sense. I don't know, it's... There's something about the way they're handling the character these days that does not feel iconic, does not feel archetypal for, for this character, that, again, has a really long history. And there's there's some different directions you can go with the guy. But Nightwing, to your point, easily could and should be uh, an A-list character, arguably second only to Batman and Superman uh, in many respects. Um because he's, he's really one of the few that works equally well with both of those two. Um, there's a lot more they could and should be doing with this character, and I'm disappointed that they're not. This was not a bad read. It was, it was, it was okay, but I think it needs to be better than okay. And if they're going to spend this much time on the supporting cast, they really need to have a game plan and need to be going somewhere with, with those characters. And once those characters stop showing up here, that, that support group of ex-villains or whatever, I don't think we're ever going to see them ever again. And if so, it's going to be the, oh, look what obscure character this writer pulled out of the woodwork. Yeah. Sort of a thing. And that's fine, because not all characters should get focused on all the time, but it, it makes me feel like they're expecting me to invest in supporting cast characters that aren't worth investing in. So I was, I'm liking the series. I'm a little frustrated with it. Because this is one of my favorite characters, and I want to see them doing better with it, and I think they've done better with it in the recent past. So, uh, for me, I'm going to go with a B-. Again, it's not a bad story, it's not a bad issue, but it is a a bit of a waste of material. This is one, like I said, that could be doing much better for them than I think it is, and I want to see that happen. Yeah, for me, it's a C-. minus. It is a below-average comic for me, and uh, I gave it another shot, and I'm going to just chill out for a while and uh, maybe maybe pop back in later. Well, that's all they can expect is uh, if it's not working for you, the fact that you check in on it later is probably more than they have any right to expect. Yeah. Shall we move on to our Marvel book? Yeah. This is Jessica Jones number 11. Uh, this has a parental advisory not for kids. I point that out just because it's in really big red letters on the cover. This, too, I was behind on my reading. Get used to me saying this. I'm, I'm behind on my reading. It's going to be a little while before I catch up. So I read the previous two issues prior to reading this, and those two issues, very wordy. This is uh, a Brian Michael Bendis uh, comic, and uh, he, of course, is a very proficient typer. A uh, good writer, too. Uh, um, I like what he does, but there's a certain aspect where... You're writing a comic book, you're not writing a prose novel. And the amount of words on a page, it, Bendis goes from the the sparse, like almost, well, not almost, sometimes no words on a page, and sometimes just, my God, shut the hell up and, and, and give the art some space. This issue was not as wordy as those two, which was good. But man, this story is reading like Bendis really wanted to tell a Maria Hill story in her own title. But he was able to get Jessica Jones because, well, Netflix and all that stuff. So he's just using the Jessica Jones character and title uh, to provide a vantage point on a Maria Hill story. And this issue, when you boil it down, is a conversation between Jessica and Maria as a framing sequence and two flashbacks. One with Jessica talking to Maria's dad and then an early adventure of Maria's. That's it. So three scenes, uh, 20 or so pages, I didn't bother to count, and it... It was, it was decent for what was there, but it felt a little unfulfilling because I mean, at the end of the issue, the lead character had had a conversation with the would-be lead character, essentially. You could argue which is the lead and which is the would-be. I expect more for a three ninety nine cover price. I know that's unrealistic. Uh, I know it's also unrealistic given that Bendis is pretty much the definition of decompressed, and this is decompressed. Um, so it's like complaining about something that I, I should know to expect going in. But the part that really floored me was the scene at the very end ends on a note, a panel, where it's like, I know exactly what they're gonna, gonna do at the beginning of the next issue. They're gonna remind us of this, this, this little, little tidbit of, of Jessica that perhaps because we were so busy watching her have coffee or ice cream or whatever mundane thing she was doing, 
uh, we, we may have forgotten about because it's so long since she's actually done on anything, I don't know, vaguely heroic. This is one that I'm liking the Maria Hill story. It's just, this is Jessica Jones' book. Focus on her. I don't know. Frustrating. Uh, how did it work for you? Uh, pretty much what you were saying. I, I think I maybe I'm enjoying the Jessica Jones book a little more than you leading up to this. Uh, and I really like the stuff with Jessica Jones. I really like the conversation in the in the diner. I like the her flashback with Maria's dad. Um, I, I I didn't understand why we did the let's tell a Maria Hill flashback story. I don't care about her. I don't like that character. Um, and I don't want to read about. I don't want to read her. So I, I thought it got hijacked. And um, the Jessica Jones stuff I really liked, uh, but uh, the Maria Hill stuff I didn't like. It was jarring art change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was intentional. Um, and it was not a style that I liked and not a character I cared about. And um, just told in a way I didn't even like. I didn't like the layouts. Um, I didn't like anything about it. So I just ripped the, I'd like to just rip those virtual pages right out of there and, and throw them away and um, continue on reading about Jessica Jones, who is fun. I like, I like her. And uh, it's been a good been a good run but this this was um not the best issue i've read uh, a lot of fun stuff with with the conversation i i thought they did some inventive things uh in with the conversation in the diner um but and the, the, the flashback was interesting but hurt but the maria hill adventures no it wasn't it wasn't necessary and i didn't want to i didn't want to read it this is the kind of story that i think would work better on tv than in a comic book because I think those having two actresses having that kind of a conversation, doing the cutaways to the other stuff, it's very cinematic. It, it it would work well because you could have the the dialogue, which on the page is okay if you've got somebody who can really deliver it and they've got the interplay and the chemistry or whatnot. Could be a lot of fun, but at the end of an issue, when all that has happened in this issue is two people talked, and oh, we revealed a tidbit of of you know, one character's backstory, and we told another flashback that ultimately doesn't matter uh, with uh, uh, Jessica and, and the dad. It was fun, it was entertaining, but I don't know that we get anything out of those scenes that we don't essentially get uh, the gist of through the the, the scene of the, the framing sequence at the, the diner or wherever. Um, so, uh, I'm liking this Jessica Jones title better than the alias or whatever the original one was, because the art there didn't really work for me. Yeah. Um, a little murkier. Yeah. But this next issue is is going to almost invariably start with a reminder that Jessica's bulletproof, um, which, if that is the case, kind of cheapens aspects of this issue, which I think is already flimsy, and that frustrates me. Um, and why doesn't me, Maria Hill know that? She does. I just don't think she cares. Or oh. it was. I think Maria Hill certainly knows that. She can't not. They're playing her as a female Nick Fury with all the you know use of the LMDs, all the the shield knowledge, and the super 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 spy aspect. She knows, but it would preclude some dramatic moments in the story, and it was done for effect, not for sensibility. Likewise, when we get the flashback from Maria's adventure. And she's essentially getting uh, court-martialed or whatever the the, the thing was. Um, and then she comes out into the hallway, presumably of the, the helicarrier or whatever, the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Tribunal Hall. And the, the family is there, and she's like, well, what are they doing there? That's a technique known as lampshading. Doing something that, that arguably doesn't make the least bit of sense, but if you reference it, it's somehow okay. It's like, yeah, I know they shouldn't have been there, but let's just go with it. That's annoying. There are times where it can work. Here, it was really annoying. And to me, the the whole bit with, with Jessica... Because I'm pretty sure she's bulletproof. I know she can take a bullet, whether it's... it's. I mean, she's not like Luke Cage, where it would just, you know, bounce off or something. But, I don't know, the whole thing... Um, Which do you hate more? Lampshading or the uh, media res where they drop you in some action and then flashback to before that to lead up to it again? That's a tough call. <laughs> There are so many. We we could have a, an all cliche episode at some point, and uh, writers' crutches and cliches, and just kind of rank rank order the ones that that we see way too much and and hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would I would argue the um, 
Man, I was gonna say I was gonna argue the 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 start in the middle and then flashback to what led up to it because to me that's hiding a weak story that if you just told it in chronological order wouldn't be as exciting. Mm-hmm. Whereas the lamp shading is just kind of a an off the cuff reference. Both are, I mean, to me that's not even as much work as the other. Um, but both uh imply that if the writer had just given it a little bit more thought, they could have made made a decision that made sense in the story and gave them the the drama they wanted out of it yeah um and and you know what we we see the inventiveness and and strength of writers over in the commandy challenge um i'm assuming you're still reading that right yeah uh, well i'm behind but yes some of the some of the writers that they get these scripts and commandy is in such a ridiculously tough situation and write incredibly well thought out plausible ways for him to get out of it and then leave him in another really harrowing situation that looks like he can't get out of and then some writers uh don't really play fair to get out of it and then leave him in something that's not very inventive so you can really see with that community challenge who your strong writers are in the stable and um if nothing else if i was over at DC and reading that, I would be evaluating talent based on how well they, how seriously they took this challenge and actually stepped up. And you can see that when people do these 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 techniques like lampshading and, and stuff uh, uh, as a crutch, and they go back to the well so often, you know, yeah, maybe they need to uh, think that. Not that Brian Michael Bendis is <laughs> a no, but it, by it any means, but. It, it does it, show that he's taken shortcuts when maybe he didn't. It makes me think there's some kind of like a writer test you could give them of here's the situation. How do you fix it? Yeah. Not exactly like the commandy challenge. It's like, well, you know, you could do something where you, you know, you've got a story that, that lacks your dramatic opening and stuff. How do you fix it? Oh, well, I put the dramatic ending at the beginning and then just lead back up to it. Eh, wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, why is the beginning weak? Let's make that better, you know? Um, there's got to be better answers for some of this versus just, just leaning on the crutch. And you're right. We've got some, some writers out there that are incredibly inventive, have some cool ideas, uh, are able to execute well, even on bland ideas. Uh, and when you get a combination of cool idea and really good execution, that's awesome. But then you've also got some that it's like, ah, not worth the time to go figure out a better way for Jessica to have encountered this family and to, to... You know, instead of just uh, she walks right out of the, the tribunal and boom, they're there in the hallway versus she walks out of the building, maybe. I mean, it wouldn't have been that hard to 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 do something that almost made sense. To me, that comes down to and I'm not saying Bendis is a lazy writer, but it comes down to lazy writing, in my opinion. Bendis is certainly prolific. He's had some really great stuff. And I'm not saying every moment of every story deserves the utmost you know, thoroughness in the writing, there are going to be times where, yeah, you know, it's like, okay, it's not that important. Let's just do this and move on. Yeah. But if you do that and somebody like me reviews it and says, you didn't give it enough thought, I think that's a fair thing to say too. And and I, I've never seen a Bendis script. So I'm wondering, you know, is the Marvel method still a thing? Are, are they just kind of loose outlines? And, you know, there's, I need this character to meet these people, you know, artists take a shot at it. Show you know, and then is it that kind of collaboration, or is it full script uh, Scott Snyder type stuff, where everything to the nth degree is detailed by the writer, to where there's nothing for the artist to do but carry out the detailed directions? I, I don't know. I don't think I've seen a Bendis script before, so um, it, it's possible that there's some Marvel method going on, and he's trusting his artist, and when he gets the result back, he's like, eh. I can make this work with a little bit of dialogue. And that's fair. Maybe that I'm blaming the wrong person. Either way, the story was what the story was. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I guess I favor more the television film model of here is the script. You can change it when you shoot it, but here's the script. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, to me, the Marvel method would be the equivalent. If here's the treatment, go film and I need an hour long episode out of this. You know, it's just, uh, I suppose it could work, but, uh, I don't know. Oh, I think it worked for a long time. You know, here's 15 beats that we need to get in uh, this story. Uh, please, please connect those dots. I think it was done for a long time. 
as for whether it worked or not, there have been so many horror stories that writers, oh, look what this artist did, and vice versa. The artist's like, well, I did this, and they went that way. You know, so there are times where clearly the writer and the artist are not on the same page, uh, both figuratively and, and uh, literally in some cases. Um, again, there were aspects of this that I liked. It's not a bad story. It's just, it feels much more Maria Hill-centric than Jessica Jones-centric. And that... Yeah. That, uh... If it was just, hey, that's the case, she's on this issue or whatever, but it feels like this has been going on a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm going to go with a C-. Uh, they need to pick up their game on this. Yeah, um, I've been enjoying this series a lot, so I'm probably giving it a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give this this issue a B-. Um, uh, I did not like the diversion into the different art style and the, the Maria Hill story, but um, the other stuff I really enjoyed, um, and, I, and I enjoy this character and I find her really, really interesting and um, want to read more about her. So uh, for that, it's a win. But yeah, not the best in in the run so far. Um, so B- for me. I get why they had the uh, the other artist for the flashback to really set it apart. But the, the, the art style, to your point, was very jarring. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Shall we move on to our other book? Yeah. This is Elsewhere, number one. It is an image comic. It is by Jay Fairber, and we've got... Uh, huh. Uh, <laughs> Sumai Kesgen? Sumai Kesgen. We'll go with that. Okay. That is, that is now the artist's name. Hopefully, uh, we didn't butcher her name. Um, or his name? Her. Okay. I'm uh, pretty sure Jay Fairber uh, mentions it's a her at the uh, the letters page. Or I've butchered the gender, too, and that's, <laughs> that's just cruel. This is uh, Jay Fairber. He's done Copperhead. He's done Noble Causes. He's done uh, Dynamo 5. He's done uh, some stuff over at, uh, certainly at DC. I think he did Titans for a little bit, maybe. I forget what all. He's done a ton. Um, and it's stuff that I really like, but doesn't always kind of really click with people, or the market, I should say. I think it clicks with a lot of people. Um, You're still reading Copperhead, correct? I'm still reading Copperhead. Yep, me too. Um, I have not read all of his stuff. He did, like, Near Death and one or two others. One that was a uh, like police procedural or whatever. I think we reviewed it a few years back, and it might have been near death. It just didn't work for me. But most of his stuff I've really enjoyed. The more super heroic or whatever it is, the better for me. This is pure fantasy for the most part. I thought this was a really fun issue. We start with uh, a blank slate. We get to know the lead characters here, the the Corvath natives of what uh, Court and Tavel or whatever. Or, you know, they, they look alien, but not inhumanly alien for the sake of looking inhumanly alien. It's like they're clearly not from, from Earth. Okay, got it. Um, and then they meet up with uh, an Earthling. In this case, it's Amelia Earhart. And in the course of this issue, we get to know this version of, of Amelia. And what I love is for these three characters, their personalities become really clear from what we see them do, how they interact with each other, and... There are arguably some broad brushstrokes and stuff, but it, it's it's clear that they are different, particularly Court and, and Tavel. They're very different people, you know? Even if you can't tell them apart at a glance, the minute one of them opens his mouth, it's, ah, I know which one that is. Um, and again, they're alien without being inaccessibly alien. And this is another one where we got a little bit of, uh, of lamp shading when at one point they mention that she's speaking English and they're not. Um... To the point where they can understand what she's saying, but at one point they hear a word that they hadn't heard before, a uh, plane, and, you know, they, they address the fact that uh, there's the language barrier, but they could still recognize an unfamiliar word. Thank God it's not like barrier. <laughs> they just keep the alien language in place throughout this and let's let you suss it out that way. Thank goodness they chose to go this, this route. Yeah, and they didn't even bother with putting the, the, the brackets or whatever. Oh, this is translated. It's no, they can understand each other. And they realize they can understand each other. But there's a couple of words here and there that pop, you know. So they they address it, dismiss it as unimportant to the story. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter to the story. I'm fine with that. You know, it didn't feel like it was a big deal. They used it well um, and such that if if two Earthlings were to, st- to make use of... of uh, did you ever see the Star Trek Next Generation episode where Picard is down on a planet with an alien and he's like, Darmok at Tanagra! And, uh, uh, and the Universal Translator is no help because the guy is basically giving names and locations. And it turns out that society has gone 
essentially uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it. They're telling everything in stories and anecdotes. They're they're a completely referential language. Yeah. Okay. So it would be like, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, you know, something that everybody would would recognize the name and the place and make the association. If the Earthlings were to do that, they could get away with it the way they've kind of played with the rules here of the language. Okay, got it. You know, if, if somebody's going to do a Benedict Arnold, these people would have no clue what you're talking about. Oh, let's betray somebody. Got it. Um, so there's aspects of the world that are, are introduced. There are aspects that are kind of explained. There's certainly a lot more to learn here and understand here, but I felt engaged in the world and curious where they're going to go with this, but I enjoyed it a lot. It was a lot of fun, and it ended on a, a reveal at the end that I didn't see coming, but the minute I saw it, it's like, oh, that, that, that was clever. That makes sense. That works. Given what you have set up, I didn't see it coming, but maybe I should have. Yeah. You know, and to me, that's a great reveal. Yeah, it, it drives the rest of the story and um, until they want to go in a different direction. And, and yeah, it, they fit together well. And I had read the preview pages already in the back of a couple of image books. So I, I already knew Amelia was going to be there. Um, but then the additional character, uh, I did not. And it was fun. It was a fun reveal. And it, it really makes uh, this an exciting comic that I want to read. I thought the art was cool, um, and I too like the aliens. Um, they they work really well together. Uh, I liked her growth in front of their eyes uh, throughout this story. As she oh she's quite capable. Um, mm -hmm. She she's not a damsel that needs protecting. And let me show you, I can I can fly these things better than you can, and it's and it's amazing how well I can do it. And and then they kind of grow to appreciate uh, her while assuming that they're going to be strapped with her and she's going to be an anchor that gets them caught. She's actually um, quite a good teammate. And I thought that was really done well. Yeah. Um, and it was all shown. We didn't have to get told all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it was a really fun introduction. Um, and then we've, we've got some, we've got to figure out exactly uh, – what we're doing, and I guess we're just going it's kind of a jailbreak uh, story, this first arc, maybe. And I'm curious what the next step is and wh where this goes and, and what kind of fun hijinks we get into and for how long and for how long mm -hmm. these characters stay relevant. Um, uh, who's the star of this? Is it is it Amelia? Um, is it the two aliens? Uh, are they are they in it for the long haul? I don't know. Um, and but but so far, so good. And I really I really enjoyed this. Yeah, if I had to to figure that out, I would go with uh, Amelia and Court are the 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 two leads. Uh, Tavel may stick around, may not. I don't think he's essential. Um, but you know, we'll find out. The, what I liked is they set a clear sensibility, tone, and style, and a direction for an arc. And some, I mean, maybe they're gonna take down the the evil empire, you know, whatever sort of a thing. But there's a lot of different directions they can go in. It's not like it's a, you know, here's uh, here's the evil empire we have to take down, and that's all we're ever going to talk about, and that's it. They could do some other smaller, quieter stories on the side if they want to. You know, they've got some some, some wiggle room, and I like that. Now, did um, Amelia Earhart have a co-pilot with her? Or what did she, was it a solo flight when she disappeared? I thought it was a solo flight, but I'm basing that on... Uh, her appearances on such things as Gilligan's Island and uh, and the like. <laughs> right, exactly. So perhaps not historically accurate. And uh, you know, you can take creative license, you know, with with some of these things. Um, it's uh, I don't think it's a historical record, and it's a, a loose. Uh, he can he can have a loose interpretation of some of the facts, and I think that's okay. Uh, well, I mean, this this Red Noon and the Navigator probably is legit. I just uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Don't really care. Maybe. Maybe. Um, it was Fred? For some reason, I thought it was Dave. <laughs> Fred Noonan, uh, the navigator, is what she refers uh, mentions at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I think we're going to see him again? Um, yeah, at some point. If I had to guess, uh, my inclination, were I writing this, and clearly I am not, Jay Faber is fully capable of doing it on his own, of course, um, I would have this dude show up in the service of the evil uh, Empire guy. Having flipped... 
not necessarily having flip. Maybe he's just doing it because it's an easy route or he, he was threatened or for whatever reason. I don't think he's necessarily going to have bought in with the Empire, but it's like either this or go get get thrown in prison or whatever. Yeah, that's kind it of just a, that's a good twist. Feels, like that. feels like a, Fred would be the type to play ball. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm basing this on a, a, not even on a name, I'm basing this on the fact, what would I m- use this character for? What would be the most inconvenient thing for Amelia, who presumably is setting out to rescue this dude, when she finds him, what would be the most awkward thing? He's like, no, I'm good. To me, that would, that would, that would play interestingly. Mm-hmm. Cause then you've got the big rescue and they're like, oh, you don't need rescuing. Well, I'm glad we went through all this trouble. <laughs> now what do I do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So again, I'm I'm enjoying this. Um, you know, I, I like it when they've got a reveal at an end of an issue that that just hits that right note. And there's so many different directions they can go with that. But it's not one of those where it's here's the big reveal, and I'm like, and what should I have gotten out of that? It's like I don't get it or whatever. I mean, some people will have that if they don't recognize the name or whatever, uh, or or the the note they're trying to hit there. Um, but I'm looking forward to more of this. I think Fairbairn, uh has a really good product uh, and property here, and I want to see it uh, move forward. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this. Um, I'm still loving Copperhead. I think mm-hmm. it, it's a great book, and I'm glad to see it. It, it c- came back from its its hiatus. So really good one two punch so far um, on this. Uh, I'm going to give this a, a straight A, and I uh, really liked it, and I'm looking forward to more. That's exactly where I'm at. Uh, definite A. Not quite to the A+, plus, but not missing it by much. Um, and I'd be a little hard-pressed to name exactly kind of why I don't feel it, it. it's there. It's really close. It's a lot of fun. I really recommend this. Um, and I'm, again, looking forward to, to where he goes with this. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really, really good. Um, my last A+, plus was Time and Vine. It's not as good as Time and Vine. Um, yeah. But it but it's not far away. It's a really good first issue. I think that's that's part of it is we've had a couple of things that um that are such clear out of the park A pluses. Uh Time and Vine, uh for me the um uh, the the red team double tap center mass, uh a few other things here and there that just really really completely work. Uh and this wasn't there but it was it's 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 in the running, you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's it's just that one minor notch below that or whatever. Um and it's nice to have elsewhere have a nice strong female lead, but also one that's very different than the female lead over in Copperhead. So I think Jay Fairber is is not, I'm surprised he's not a bigger name than he is. He's done a lot of really good work over a fairly lengthy period. Um to he's deserving of more recognition. And you said he's done big two work. Pretty sure I'd have to uh, go look up exactly what, but I thought he did stuff over at DC. I'm thinking he did Titans for a bit, and I thought he did something over at Marvel, but I could be wrong on that. Because I mean, there are there are folks uh, creators that really crackle on their own invention, you know, their own creation. They're they're a notch above where they are when they're on an assignment, and it's just not. And it's in a pre-existing world where there's rules that they can't really break, and they have editorial oversight that kind of keeps them logged in. You see a lot of um, a lot of that sort of thing where this fantastic creator who who created this amazing property out of nothing somewhere, and then they go, which is their dream, and their and their right to go. They want to work for the Marvel and DC, and when they get there. Their stuff just lays there. It's not exciting, and it's just a different. Must just be a different environment, different way to work. S- something the pieces just don't fit as well. You see that sometimes. I didn't see that as much with Fairburs as some others, certainly. But I think part of uh, the difference is having an editor that you are reporting to uh, at the big two being a little bit. I don't want to say problematic, but yeah. it can it can not benefit things. I'm thinking specifically of Tim Seeley uh, and the amazing work that he did on Revival. Fair enough. And then, you know, we're, we're seeing this stuff, what we're seeing okay, but not fantastic work on on Nightwing. And um, um, I think he did The Lost Boys as well. That was that didn't quite quite connect with anyone. Um, and so there, he's not alone. There are a lot of characters, there are a lot of creators that are like this, where they 
they just they do a different type of work and sometimes it doesn't translate to big two properties two things i want to point out on uh, on elsewhere yeah uh Fairber did what if and for an issue back in 1998 and was the regular writer for a little bit on generation x oh okay um and the person who hired him for that was frank uh Pitarisi, i may have butchered that name and uh What's interesting, and this is in the, the letters page at the end, um, Ferber hired Frank as the editor on this book. Very cool. He's got a lot on his plate because Ferber's working on the Zoo series at CBS and has some other stuff uh, going on, like a Copperhead and whatnot. So having somebody who's helping kind of you know keep the trains running on time and stuff, um, and not just scheduling and proofing, but also giving some story feedback. I really respect a writer who's like, you know, hey, if, if I can get another set of eyes on this or whatever, uh, so much the better. I To me, that's awesome, and that's, again, a different dynamic than an editor who hires you, you know? So it's it's pretty good. The other thing I want to point out about Elsewhere is it's going to be four issue arcs, a month off, a solicit for the trade, another month off, and then they get back to it. Yeah. And that's that. just the... It's the industry standard now, but I hate it. That's not the industry standard, but it's 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 not unheard of either. I think really there's a handful of titles doing it. I it's, think the standard is more it's twice the, it, a, a month. It's the image standard. Fair enough, fair enough. But if that's what it takes to keep it on time, I'm all for it. And I like him saying at the get-go, this is the game plan. Versus we get four issues and then nothing. And then we get a trade and then nothing. And we think, oh, it's over. And then it's back. You know, So being upfront about it is, is appreciated. But that next issue will be five and not number one of a new relaunch. Uh, he didn't specify, actually. Don't know. Could go either way. Interesting. So as I mentioned, I am uh, still uh, behind on my reading. Keeping it below 500? Oh, yeah. That's that's the goal. Um, <laughs> we'll see how well I do. I uh, managed to get some stuff read. I read... What should I read? I think a couple of... Well, nine comics for this, this episode. The three we read, and then the other stuff to catch up on those titles. Um, but then I read another 31, so I'm down to, I think, 432 is uh, is what I'm thinking. Let me double-check that. in my sp- Yeah, 432 is, is what I'm thinking. Would you say this is the most woefully behind you've ever been? It's up there with one other time. Uh, there was one time I was doing a lot of traveling. It was around the time of zero hour. Um, and I was crazy behind too. Probably about this far behind, maybe not this far behind, but I honestly don't remember. It's it's. And what allowed you to catch up that time? Having time to do a lot of reading. <laughs> I mean, <it's, laughs> it sounds sounds so obvious. Um, I'll be honest. Part of what's the problem right now is I've got uh, I've just got some stuff going on. You know, there's the whole podcast, the number crunching, and and a few other things. Were you that, doing? You weren't doing three episodes a week back then. I wasn't doing a podcast. Zero Hour was what twenty years ago. Okay, so the occasional forum post was really your only <laughs> comic responsibilities back then. Uh, if that, if that, I was gonna say, did I not mention this was like twenty years ago? <laughs> yeah, well, well, I think in '97 you could have been on a forum. I kn- I know it was on during Zero Hour. I don't remember when Zero Hour was. To be honest, it might have been more than twenty years ago. It was. It was a long time ago. Gotcha. I was. I was younger. The eyesight was better. I could probably read a little faster. And comics weren't coming out every few minutes. I, I think just while we recorded this, they released another twelve issues of at least four of these titles. <laughs> so there's that. But yeah, part of it is just uh, I, I need to find some more time to to sit and read. But I've got a few things that are are uh, clamoring for my attention. We got some exciting news in uh, mergers and acquisitions this week. Netflix has purchased Millar World, and that's Mark Millar's imprint, home to such things as Huck, Jupiter's Legacy, and Chrononauts, uh, to name a few recent uh, successes. Reborn is another Kingsman. one. Kingsman? Uh, yeah, they don't get that. They don't? They don't get Kingsman. They don't get or Hit Girl. So any of the stuff that had been... Not optioned, I guess. Not optioned. I thought they bought him out lock, stock, and barrel. So while they may not be able to do shows on it, I had thought they got the properties, but I, I don't know that for certain. According to his blog post, those are pre-existing contracts and don't go with the deal. Um, but if we get either Netflix series or movies on just three or four of those, uh, those will be a lot of fun. 
I would I would be really excited to see Chrononauts on the screen. We talked about it, I think, when we reviewed it, how much fun that would be as a TV series. And TV series or movie? Either. Either. I could see it. I could I, see it either way. I think a lot of his stuff, that Quant- one is a bit more TV uh, applicable, but I think a lot of his stuff feels more like movies. Now, it could be a series of movies. I think Huck could be a nice movie, but I think Jupiter's Legacy is definitely a series. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I would say Brilliant would be uh, an interesting movie. Reborn, Again, Reborn I think you it. could go either way. I think yeah. it would be a great movie that kind of stuck to the six-issue miniseries, but then there are plenty of adventures to tell, and you could tell that story a long, a long, long time if you wanted to. Well, it's interesting how uh, Netflix is, is really proactive about not only just licensing stuff, but in this case, acquiring properties. And there's a lot of new material that's that's being made explicitly for Netflix. Third season of Young Justice is going to come out at some point on Netflix. Second season of Miraculous uh, is coming out on Netflix. They've they've obviously got all the Marvel, uh, you know, Defender stuff. So ha- uh, acquiring Millar World and having an in-house incubation process uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, Rick, you, you see Rick Remender has done this... Um... Uh, it's its own imprint as well, like a Skybound, like a Matt Hawkins imprint. You know, there there are a lot of these creators that have a lot of work are kind of pulling them under this umbrella, and I'm wondering if that's the reason that uh, that that they have the the whole the big thing to dangle in front of the big media conglomerate and sell it. Probably not Skybound, but maybe. Well, I think Millar had always been building a, a library of IP for I mean, a lot of his stuff was was basically let me show you what the movie could be. Yeah, you know, uh, Wanted being the earliest uh, thing that turned into a movie. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things that a lot of his properties, uh, while fun, are short, and there's nothing right or wrong about it. And he was telling really good comics. Versus somebody who was doing something for the sole purpose of let me turn this into a TV show or something. Um, and not telling a great comic in the process, but telling an okay comic. Which we've, we've reviewed some of those. Yes, yes we have. Um, there have been many of them over the years. And again, nothing right or wrong about it. If, they've, if somebody's got a story and they can get it out in uh, one format versus another, that's, that's great. More power to them. Um, if this means more original content uh, for Netflix and stuff, that's great too. But it comes down to at what point does the bubble kind of burst? And, you know, we're at a, a, a high watermark in terms of the number of comic book-based properties that are being turned into movies, TV shows, video games, etc. And at some point, that may stop. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I thought it would have happened by now. I thought I, I had my money on Ant-Man being the big, the big flop, and um, it wasn't. And Wonder Woman didn't fantastic and people are really excited about defenders and um so but when do we go from there being five cw dc universe shows back to there being like none yeah and no other network picking up the slack yeah you know because we're gonna have this coming season arrow flash supergirl legends of tomorrow black lightning elsewhere we're gonna have i think krypton We've got uh, iZombie, uh, Lucifer, Preacher, um, you know, and that's just DC. You know, you toss in Inhumans and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Walking Dead. Walking Dead. And we're now at, what, 13 or something TV shows. And that's that's just kind of off the cuff. Uh, Gifted, that's 14. So now we're at, it on uh, for, for seven days a week, uh, two per night, you know, kind of a thing. You could, if they were all on the same network, you could go seven days a week for two hours of primetime you know, and granted, you do reruns periodically, but you get the idea. I mean, it's crazy. We will, it's we some... will, we will have a comic channel at some point. We will have a comic book channel that will buy the syndication rights to all these shows and um, run them constantly. It'll be fantastic, and I'll, I'll love it. I don't think we need it. We've got Netflix. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. We don't, do we? You know, the the landscape is is changing, and I, I think Netflix position themselves well and with this acquisition with the properties they've got the the uh the rerun or licensing agreement to get the cw shows shortly after they air on netflix um they're doing some really smart moves so we'll, we'll see how that all goes it's going to be interesting to see if we get a little bit of a dry spell in terms of comics from mark millar 
and uh, if and when he comes back, what he comes back with, and uh, how. I mean, obviously, I would expect them to be very directly applicable to a Netflix kind of a venue. Right. Uh, will the preview spotlight be out by the time this drops? We're recording this on uh, August 8th, and the episode, the preview spotlight goes up on the 9th. Okay. So, yes. How was the turnout? It was good. It was okay. good. I'll be honest, I was a little uh, panicked at first, uh, because when I have my spreadsheet say, well, how many clips do I have? I hadn't actually unzipped a few things from the emails I'd gotten a few things, and I'm like, oh, I only have so many. It's I actually had about twice that. Um, we had, I don't know, uh, 50-ish, oh, good take. Good. Depends if you count mine or not. So it was an hour and a half-ish episode, I think. We've had bigger. Had we've bigger. had smaller. I was, I was you know, wondering, but, it might have been the, uh, the summer vacation schedules are getting to everybody, but hopefully everybody's back home and getting ready to go back to school and all that good stuff, so... Redoubled our, our efforts and maybe we could get a nice big uh, August um, episode in, or September episode, I'm sorry. September at that point, yeah. Well, and again, it comes down to what's in the previews. Uh, each time, sometimes it calls out to more people than others. True. You know, particularly as we're getting to where there's six issue arcs, there's sometimes where there's a lot of in the middle of an arc versus, hey, this is a new story, it's a good jumping on point. Um, but I think certainly from some of the... the Things getting posted on the forum and on the Slack channel. There's a couple of new uh, titles coming out that uh, I'm expecting to to get clips on. the The Terrifics is is one of them. I'm I'm expecting. Uh, I'm sure we'll get some clips on that. That looks like a lot of fun from GC. Hmm. Okay. So the next, uh, well, let's see. the The teleconference is going to be. Let's see. This goes up on the 14th. Yeah. On the Saturday, the 19th of August, 7 p.m. This is, of course, 2017 for the time travelers and the people listening to this later. Uh, we're going to do our uh, our teleconference. We skipped July because I was off goofing off at Comic-Con. Um, if there's comics you want me to be able to discuss on that August 19th, let me know sooner rather than later. So I maybe have a little time to, I don't know, read them. And then the preview spotlight deadline for September will be September 9th. That's uh, bright and early in the morning, uh, that Saturday morning, or at least as early as uh, I get up. If, if, if you need a little extra time, let me know. Uh, people have gotten really good about sending in the clips earlier, and I really appreciate it because that means I can kind of get organized and get through the stuff uh, pretty quickly, and I'm getting into a better better rhythm towards taking a little less time, and that's, that's always helpful. But then other episodes we've got coming up uh, soon... Um, obviously we just talked about the, the August preview spotlight will have gone up by now, as will the collector's box light for June and July. We're getting into about a two month cadence there roughly. Um, then we've got the, the mayo reports for June. Um, they've recorded with Sam, uh, had a technical glitch. So TJ and I have rescheduled, but I'm still going to get that up. And then of course, by that point, the July stuff will be out. Um, so I'll be scheduling again. So those will come up in short order. And then we're going to do a 10th anniversary episode that'll get released on August 23rd. We're actually going to record that on the 16th. So if you've got any questions you've always wanted answered about the history or whatnot of the Comic Book Page podcast, uh, let us know. Who knows? Maybe I'll maybe I'll answer them. Going to have as many of the co-hosts on as I can. Not sure if we're going to get TJ on the main recording. If not, I may uh, circle back with him later and... And do a kind of an and another thing sort of segment just to, because I want to have him included too. Um, but uh, should be a lot of fun. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? That'll do it. Cool.